So I've obviously just got home from work, well, not obvious to you listening, but and just caught up with some of the insanity that's absolute insanity that's going on down in Christchurch right now. And just before we start the normal recording, I've recorded the rest of the episode this morning, but just putting this on now, just you know, give all my thoughts to everyone down in Christchurch that's going through what they're going through now and all the families and everything that's involved. It's, like I said, it's absolute insanity. I've sort of lost for words and all I can say is I'm really embarrassed by what I'm seeing on online here and watching on the news it's 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 completely embarrassing imagine imagine doing that walking into a a place where you've got a bunch of people you don't know into a into a place where then they might be praying or, or doing their religious activities and 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 doing something like that it's absolutely ridiculous and it's insane so Heart, thoughts and, and hearts go out to everyone down in Christchurch and obviously not everyone's okay from from what's from what I've seen and read but obviously hope hope if you're listening down in Christchurch that in everywhere else in New Zealand that everything is okay. It is Friday the 15th of March 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 31 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice and if you're looking for financial advice I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. I'm doing something a bit crazy this week. I'm going to talk about a stock that is not on the NZX. So that's definitely something different. Their product is in New Zealand though so don't stress too much. It's also all around the world. I'm going to talk about a stock that is listed in the United States. And the reason I'm doing this is that I felt like doing something a little bit different. And the other reason is that I really like the company. I do not normally disclose this, but I've recently bought shares. I mean, with this company, they're so large that, you know, if I talk about what I own, it's not really going to impact the share price in any way. So I sort of feel comfortable, more comfortable doing it. But not seeing the trend, though, so this is probably a one-off. So anyway, let me know any feedback that you have, but otherwise we'll get straight into it. Booking Holdings trades on the NASDAQ under the ticker code BKNG. They are a huge company with something like 17,000 employees worldwide and a market capitalization of $77 billion, that's US dollars. So this is a company that if you have done any travel or have ever booked a hotel room, you're probably familiar with. The company itself is a holding company that owns a bunch of other companies and brands that allow you to book hotels, apartments, and other travel-related industries online. The most popular and significant of these brands is Booking.com, but they also own Priceline.com, Priceline.com, sorry, Agoda.com, Kayak, Rentalcars.com, and open table. I'll quickly run through what the other brands do and then I'll spend most of my time talking about booking.com. So Kayak is a travel search engine where you go online and search and book flights, hotels, cars and other travel packages and so it's essentially gives you a price comparison options. So another example of a similar product I believe would be Skyscanner. It makes money in two ways, from online advertising and through referral fees or rebates or overrides from the travel companies that they 
book it for. And if you go to the website kayak.com, that's K-A-Y-A-K.com, you'll figure out what they do pretty quickly. It's pretty easy to understand. Priceline.com works in a similar way to Kayak, but the bulk of the, its market is focused on the United States. They do have this quite cool name your own price feature, and I believe this is what the company was founded on. Basically, you click on an area of the world that you're interested in and you want to stay, then you choose a star level of your hotel, and then you go and name your price. So you might say, I want to go stay in Clapham in London, in a two-star hotel, sorry, and that you want to spend no more than, I don't know, $50. So you bid this $50 and it goes to all the hotels where they either accept it or decline it. It's a bit gimmicky, but it's actually what Priceline built their business on, so it's quite cool. And then you have Agoda, which is a similar concept to Booking.com, where you can go online and book hotels. Um, their focus is in Asia, so Southeast Asia and the rest. Um, and then you've got rentalcars.com. They are the world's largest online rental car service. It is a similar concept to hotel bookings and is a place for rental car companies to list their services. And <clears throat> finally, you have OpenTable, which is a provider of online restaurant reservations. For some reason, I'm less certain about this one as to how successful it can be. I mean, online car hire and, and hotel bookings, I get. I mean, that's it's a it's something you normally want to do in advance and it's a convenience. It's, and it can be done from anywhere in the world and you usually want to do it before you go out. So if I was going for a weekend in Sydney, for example, then I'd be inclined to book quickly through booking.com and organise my rental car online. I probably wouldn't be in the same rush to book a restaurant though. And it might, it might just be me, but I'd probably wing this when I was in Sydney either by walking past or just ringing up something when I was there and you know I, I don't think for those reasons in my opinion the, the business model is that is strong in, in restaurant bookings but that might just be me because the the company has said they book 24 million diners per month so obviously someone's using it anyway moving on the bulk of the company's revenue and it's not exactly clear how much but the vast majority is generated from booking.com most of this revenue is generated from outside of the United States and it's probably worth, it at this point, I think 89% of the revenue is from outside of the worst United States. It's probably worth, at this point, explaining a bit of the history of the company. So it starts with Priceline. In 1999, Priceline, Priceline listed on the stock market under the ticker code PLCN. So, and it might, be, it might actually be PCLN. I can't remember off the top of my head now. It doesn't trade under that ticker code anymore anyway. So the company went public at the height of enthusiasm for internet-related stocks, so essentially in the middle of the tech bubble. And the stock doubled in its first month before losing 99% of its value within a couple of years. That's 9999. And you had a combination of factors there. The first was the pop into the internet bubble. So when you list at the top of the bubble and then the bubble pops, you're always going to be worth less pretty simple math there and then I guess that the fundamentals of the business didn't necessarily stack up to the valuation and what you had in this in this new industry and that's hotel bookings was it was quite a flooded market with no real leader and I remember reading in preparation for this episode that one insider within one of these companies believed that there were 20 to 25 competitors in the market that he considered to be credible credible and that makes it very hard for any single player to get a foothold and 
sort of if if you go back to when search engines came out, for example, um, you had loads of different search engines, and it wasn't until Google emerged to be incredible that the the industry started making money. Anyway, so the company actually resorted to a, a one for six reverse stock split to get the stock price back above twenty dollars. And we don't really do this in New Zealand and Australia, but it happens quite often in the United States. And I'd normally consider a reverse stock split as a as a desperate move from a company. And that probably paints a picture of of the situation that they were dealing with at the time. And two acquisitions changed this. And Glenn Fogel, who's the current CEO of, of Booking Holdings, he identified active hotels. He wasn't the CEO at the time, but he identified active hotels, which is a which was a UK-based hotel booking company, and Booking.com, which was based in the Netherlands, I believe. And he identified those as potential acquisitions for Priceline, and they acquired them in 2014 and 2015. They paid, Priceline paid $165 million for Active Hotels and $149 million for Booking.com. So rounded to just just over 300 million and in 2006 they rolled both of these brands into booking.com and the interesting thing about both of these acquisitions is that they both had a clear competitive advantage and that was in their business model they their business model was what's called an agency business model this is where the customer is in the person booking the hotel only pays commission up front so say 10% for example, and they pay the balance of the transaction on arrival. So when you click your mouse and book through booking.com, for example, you pay that 10%, that goes directly to booking.com through the click of the mouse. And then when you arrive at your destination, say in Sydney, that's when you pay the balance. And the most common business model by the competitors at the time was the merchant model. And that is where you pay for the whole booking up front. So you go to your booking website and you'd pay for the whole hotel up front. Now, this approach was great for the cash flows of the company and of, of any company. And, and the reason for that is you're receiving all this money for the hotel booking up front and you only pay your hotel later. So you get all this cash up front that you can use. But when you think about it, it it wasn't the best business model for the actual customers itself. I mean, certainly I would rather pay a little bit up front and pay more later, most people do. And the hotels, of course, preferred this model as well because they didn't want to have to rely on the payments for someone else. So they also preferred the agency model. And it was therefore a classic example of just giving customers what they want. And just as an aside, this is what you want from any company. I vastly prefer companies that give customers what they want and and keep them happy. An example in New Zealand of a company that didn't do that was maybe Metro Performance Glass. Customers wanted on-time glass installations in their properties and they didn't get them and the stock suffered. Pretty simple stuff. I know there might be a bit more to it in terms of logistics and everything like that, but at the end of the day, that's what the problem is. So I haven't seen it documented anywhere or many places, but I think the other reason for the success was in the name. And Booking.com is, is so simple and marketable that I think it played... A, a big reason for a big part in its emergency is uh, emergency and its emergence as an industry leader. And the company obviously thought this as well because they rolled the Active Hotels name into Booking.com as opposed to the other way around. And you know, Active Hotels wasn't necessarily more significant than Booking.com, but the the brand was certainly more marketable. And the the significance of the Booking.com brand for the company was acknowledged. 
in February 2017 when the company changed its listed name from Priceline to Booking Holdings and gave it a new ticker code BKNG and that reflected the new reality of where the company was generating its revenue from. This is probably a good time to talk about the management of the, the management structure of the company. The CEO is a chap called Glenn Fogel. You can you can look him up on LinkedIn and check out his profile. He has been the CEO since January 2017. I see his key role in the company is essentially as the head of capital allocation. So his job is to allocate capital to the appropriate parts of the business to achieve the best return for shareholders. And this Capital allocation can also be in the form of acquisitions or in the form of returning cash to shareholders. And it's fair to say that being the main man responsible for the Booking.com and Active Hotel acquisitions back in the day, that he has a pretty stellar track record at capital allocation. So, you know, you can only look, look at someone's track record and he's certainly done well in the past. And obviously the leftover amount, which is the balance left over after after allocating investments in the business and acquisitions should be sent to shareholders as a dividend or a buyback. And so far in Booking.com's life as a public company, they've certainly preferred the buybacks. So each of the other businesses, as in Booking.com, Priceline, Kayak, Ecoda, Rental Cars and Open Table, have their own CEOs and management team team. The only one I'm going to talk about is Gillian Tans. She was the seventh employee at Booking.com and she's been there right from the start and has been the CEO of the Booking.com company since 2016. And I've watched a lot of her interviews that I could find on YouTube and she comes across really well. She clearly knows her stuff. She speaks about a hundred languages, although that's not that unique these days for a European, but she looks like she has booking.com blood flowing through her veins, so she seems like exactly the, the type of person you want running the most important division of the company. Um, so quickly to, to sum up on, on personnel, you've got a guy that has a proven history in capital allocation as the, the CEO of the holding company, and you have a CEO of the most important division as someone that has an excellent track record of operations, so it seems to be a, a great mix for shareholders. So the Booking.com brand is most dominant in Europe. I think I read that 89% of revenue is generated from out of the United States. They come up against stiff competition in the United States from Expedia, but they still have a reasonable foothold. And I'll talk more about competition shortly. I spent five or six years living in Europe, mostly in the UK. And I can tell you from my anecdotal experience that Booking.com dominates the market over there. They're also pursuing growth in China quite aggressively and have accumulated a large shareholding in, I'm not sure if I'm saying this properly, but C-Trip, I probably said that wrong, and that gives them access to them to that market, which is obviously dominant. So C-Trip is a, um, they're a, essentially a, a Chinese booking platform, and having that shareholding in, in that gives them, I think they share the listings with, with C-Trip in, in China, so it's that gives them the, the, the way into China. It's not that easy to go set up operations as a Western company in China. So to have that foothold in the door is obviously really important because no doubt it's a huge, huge, huge growth market over there for them potentially. And especially when you've got a country where there's so many mobile phones, it's it's a great opportunity. 
So it is when you start to look at the numbers that you realize how good this company truly is. And to start, let's start with the, the top line, which is the revenue. When you look at the historic revenue growth, you can see that the winds are blowing at the back of the company. Remember that the acquisitions of Priceline, by Priceline of Active Hotels and Booking.com totaled little over $300 million. And in 2013, So in 2013, the company generated revenue of, of 6.8 billion US dollars. And by 2018, this had more than doubled to 14.5 billion. So, you know, $300 million acquisition is, is now essentially producing you $14.5 billion. It's quite extraordinary. I actually was reading the other day that they believe that the Booking.com acquisition was something like the fourth or fifth most valuable acquisition of all time. Right up there with, thing, with Google's acquisition of YouTube, Google's acquisition of, of Android, f Facebook's acquisition of Instagram. So right up there in terms of value creation. So in 2013, the company reported an operating income before tax of $2.4 Again, compare that to the acquisition price. And it's important, <clears throat> just as an aside, when looking at booking to look at the operating income. The reason for this is that a recent accounting change means that the company with a large stock portfolio, which, which they essentially have with their holdings in C-Trip, the, the fair value of the underlying stock movement has to get added to the net income line, so the bottom line, and therefore, in my view, gives a distorted view one way or another of the company's performance. So if the stock was that stock was up, C-Trip was up significantly in the year, then that, that movement would get placed on the bottom line for the company. Likewise, if it was down, it would get removed from the bottom line of the company. And obviously, that has no real bearings on the operational performance of the business itself. So you've almost got to completely disregard or at least add back that impact on the bottom line. So just for ease of time, let's just look at operating profits for now. Anyway, the operating margin in 2013 was 35.5%. And in 2018, the company had an operating income of, of over of nearly five billion, so you know that that doubled the operating incomes during that time, and the operating margin was thirty six point eight percent. So it 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 had improved as well, and so not only has the company been able to significantly grow its revenues, it's been able to grow and expand its operating marg margins. And I'll talk about more about the the potential growth for the company later in the episode. But you know it it, it shows how strong their their business has been. Anyway, let's take a look at the balance sheet. So as of 31st of December 2018, the company had $2.6 billion sitting in cash. And the company also had $3.6 billion in, in short-term marketable in, investments. So that essentially means fixed income investments. So the company essentially had $6.2 billion US dollars sitting in cash and equivalents. As for other meaningful assets, the, the company has $8.4 billion in other long-term invest investments. That is the holding in C-Trip and another Chinese outfit. So for me, that is essentially $14.6 in relatively liquid assets. And obviously, it's it'd be quite difficult to exit the $8.4 billion holding in C-Trip quickly, but yeah, I, I, you might argue with some of my classifications there, but the point is that they're a very liquid company. I also note that they have around $650 million in property, plant, and equipment, and I'll come back to that. So looking at the right-hand side of the balance 
sheet or the liabilities, they come, the, the key thing that sticks out is 8.6 billion in debt. Now they've increased debt quite significantly over the last few years. I, I do not really like to see that, but there's clearly no financial issue with the company. I mean, they, they essentially have net cash of $6 billion and they're delivering $5 billion in operating profits every year. So realistically, they could probably have more debt. But there does not seem to be too much need for it for me. So I'd like to see this stay stable in the future. And but it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if it does increase as a company decides to buy back more shares. So as Warren Buffett says, it's it's foolish to risk something you have for something you don't need. And I think that could be the case with Booking.com. Moving on, and I'm about to explain why I think they're such a great company. And that is when you look at the, the tangible equity that they actually need to run the business on the balance sheet. And I'll ignore the intangibles and long-term investments. The Like I said, the long-term investments are basically there to establish a Chinese market firm. So for this, and this has been conservative, let's take the $8 billion in, in current assets, add the $650 million in property, plant and equipment, and subtract the current liabilities of $3.5 billion, and you're left with near enough to $5 billion, which is the, essentially the, the, the current capital they deploy in the business. So they're able to generate $5 billion of operating profits with only $5 billion of capital employed, and that's that that's quite incredible. And if you subtract the debt, they virtually generate five billion dollars worth no capital at all. Um and in many parts of the world they have a monopoly business that is that is growing significantly and they do this without having to outlay any capital at all, which is a wonderful company and that and that's why I think they're one of the the best in, in the world in my view. Obviously they have a significant amount of human capital in the business, you know, seventeen thousand em- employees, you know, you could argue that you should add that to their assets in, in, in many ways in terms of calculating capital employed. But you know, it, it's certainly incredible that a company can generate $5 billion in operating income with only $650 million in property, plant and equipment. And these sorts of businesses didn't exist 50 years ago. And it's it's phenomenal that it can do that now. Anyway, and you know when you think about the actual business booking a, a a hotel room online, you know when you click your mouse and and book your hotel room and pay your agency fee essentially, you know what does that actually cost the company? It it's 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 a phenomenal business. There's no there's no cost of sales there, which is 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 the incredible thing for me. So it's such a scalable business model, and this is why the margins expand over time. Anyway, so what what sort of growth can we realistically expect going forward? I, I guess the first thing is that it's unrealistic to expect the same percentage growth rates in the future as we have in the past, and the law of large numbers will will, will take care of that. So I'll calculate this relatively conservatively. Now, I don't have a number in front of me, but the travel industry has typically grown ahead of, of, of GDP, we'll call it worldwide GDP, and I'd expect this trend to continue in the future. So let's assume that the travel industry itself will grow at, say, 3% a year. It won't be in a straight line, it'll be an ups and downs, some years will decline, but let's assume an average of 3%. And let's also assume that Booking.com, because of the quality of the offering, is able to grow at a faster rate than the industry itself. And they certainly have in, in recent years, and I expect them to continue doing over the next few years. So let's award them an extra 5%. And let's also conservatively assume that other companies offering, the other the, com- 
the company's other offerings, e.g. open table, rental cars and kayak, contribute another 2% to overall growth. And that, that takes us to around 10% in terms of top-line growth. And when I look out into the future, I believe that 10% can be achievable, especially for the, in, in, over the next five years, for example. So there is still a, a good growth tailwind there, and I'd also expect them to gradually improve margins. And there are, there are two ways that they can do this, <clears throat> improve margins, that is. There's, that is through reduced staffing costs. So they have 17,000 people or whatever they have already. And I know that the company is implementing some artificial intelligence, such as advanced chatbots, as an example, to improve margins. The, the trick here is not necessarily to cut back on staff. I, I don't think they necessarily need to cut back on staff, but to reduce the staffing cost as percentage. And they haven't actually done that over the last few years, but the idea is that your revenue keeps on growing, but your staffing costs grow slower than revenue. Uh, that way you don't need to get rid of jobs or anything like that. You keep the president happy. <laughs> but also, as a percentage of revenue, it, it goes down. And they can also attempt to reduce their reliance on Google for advertising and other places, but essentially Google. And they can do this. The idea is to cut Google out of the picture completely by getting people to go directly to the website or application directly. And I think that... Having a very strong mobile phone application is important for this because people will have it on their phone and when they want to book something, if they've got into the habit of doing it, then they can go directly to the app. So then Google almost becomes a way of getting people of, of the first customer conversion. And then after that, it's about trying to get as many people to the application as possible. And this is where branding and a whole bunch of other stuff comes into it. And they have had some success at this, which is great to see. So performance marketing as a percentage of revenue was 32% in 2016, and this had reduced to 30.6% in 2018. So, you know, it's good to see that trending in the right direction. You know, of course, same with the employees that the amount spent on Google went up during that time, but as a percentage of revenue, it decreased, which is what you want. And realistically, you know, it... <laughs> You can't expect this to, you know, margins to go to zero. So there's obviously a ceiling to it or a floor to it, however you want to look at it. But I think over the next, I don't know, few years, you can expect margin improvements of about, I guess, half a percent a year over time. And this will obviously get harder, but it would be nice to see this go on for as long as possible. So the company has started heavily buying back shares and I mean heavily, they bought back $1 billion, $1 billion worth in 2016, $1.8 billion in 2017, and $6 billion in 2018. I, I can't see it growing too much in the, sh- in the short term above $6 billion, and it'll probably be less than that in 2019. But I believe that they'll continue to buy back shares. I think we can assume that the share count will decrease by about 2 to 3% per annum, and this obviously juices earnings per share. So overall, I see the company's bottom line earnings, so that's the cash they generate for shareholders, growing by about 10 to 13% per annum. And if we get to the valuation, the company is has a market cap of about 77 billion with operating income at 5 billion. 
So this places them on a, a, a price to operate an earnings multiple of 15.4, which I think is, is very reasonable for a company that I believe will grow its earnings by about 10% per annum. And I personally think that the company's undervalued right now. I do not normally disclose my positions, but I can say that I recently bought shares in Booking.com after the the 10% drop or whatever it was the other day. I believe that they're probably worth around 100 billion, um, at least in the the medium term and probably more in the long term. I think when buying into a company like this, it's important to be realistic about your expectations. It's been a 10-bagger in the past. It probably won't be a again in the future at least over the short term you know maybe over a 30 year period it might be but it's unlikely for example that they'll go from being a 77 billion dollar company to a 770 billion dollar company sometime soon but obviously I, I hope that they do the company like any any other obviously comes with risks now there are the boring ones that affect every large company such as a slowdown in, in certain parts of the world like the stock for example recently got smashed because of a tempered outlook in Europe which of course will have a short term impact but if you think like me then you think the ship will eventually be righted over the long term. With the company making most of their money internationally but reporting in US dollars then you can also point to the exchange rate risk as well and again I don't think too much about this. No doubt it can produce wild swings in earnings over the short term, but it's not something I, I consider when buying the stock, and I don't think anyone can predict the movements of, of they've probably got 20 key exchange rates, so it's it's not really worth thinking about in my view, but commentators will bang on about it. I think that the fact is worth thinking about a competition, and the company does a good job of pointing this out under the risk factors in their annual report. There are two aspects to think about in terms of competition. For me, there are two serious competitors out there. That is Expedia and Airbnb, and there's other ones as well, TripAdvisor and everything like that. But I, the, the Expedia and Airbnb are the key ones, and I, I don't think that you can dismiss these two. Both are big. They're good companies and they're well financed and at least one of them doesn't seem to be that concerned about profitability and it always sucks to compete against someone in business that doesn't have to be profitable. Anyone that has competed with Amazon over the last 15 years can attest to this. So you know the company takes them seriously as well because when they're asked in interviews about Airbnb, they, they jump on the aggressive and, and talk about how many rooms or or listings they have in the the private sector compared to Airbnb, so they they do take it seriously, and it, that is you know how how that plays out there. Whether it turns into a Visa, Mastercard, and the American Express situation where three companies exist profitably together, or when whether it's the, the the it's broken down on time, I don't know, but obviously it is it certainly is a risk. The other type of risk for booking is someone like Google or Amazon, more specifically Google, I think, goes, right, we're going to compete on hotel bookings. And when you think about it, they already have the infrastructure to do it. So imagine if you search hotels in Auckland, for example, and the Google listings come up and it has a book me tab right beside it and you run off and book straight through Google. And I guess the thing here is that Google might not even to charge have to charge the hotels to have to do this. And Google just collect the advertising from the hotel. So you'd advertise to be at the top of the list and boom, you, you, you book straight through it. And all of this is true and and it, it could you it could foreseeably happen. Um and obviously if it does it would it would probably 
have some impact on the company. But I, I do have some trouble getting too worried about this. However, I, I do acknowledge the risk, but I do not think it's as big as what some commentators say. And the first reason for this, as I've said in the past, is that if you selected all your investments based off stuff that Google could get into, you have nothing nothing left. You I mean they have the resources to get into anything. Um, and I also think people underestimate the, the, the cost that and the risk for Google to compete with, with Booking.com and, and Airbnb for that matter. I mean, these companies have 20 years of excellent operations, industry knowledge, and, and 17,000 employees. It's it's not as easy as what it sounds to replicate. Yeah, Google have a lot of good infrastructure as well, but it, you know, if it was easy to replicate, someone else would have done it. And there are lots of other things... <laughs> and you could say Airbnb's done it, but whatever. Um, there are lots of other things as well, as such as small hotels not having the resources to advertise on Google, so they list on Booking.com again. And I'm, I'm sh- but I'm sure that it's something that Booking.com is very aware of and have discussed. But for me personally, I, I can understand. It doesn't put me off, but I can understand if it if you've done your your thinking and it and it puts you off. But for me, it's 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 not a reason not to invest. So how do I go about wrapping this up? It's been a, a longer episode than normal. So I, I guess you've probably figured out that I think Booking is a, a great company. They clearly have an excellent product, essentially a monopoly in some parts of the world that is easy to understand and concept, conceptualise as an investor, which is great. Management is seems to be excellent and they have a, a, a proven track record and they seem to have the right people in the right place. I also think the product still has plenty of room to run in terms of growth. And there's also the outside chance that one of their other investments takes off and, and contributes significantly to revenue. So I could be completely wrong about Open Table as an example of that. So, you know, I still think there's plenty of upside there in the stock. I think that the stock is currently undervalued. I think if nothing else, I, I, I hope that you enjoyed the podcast as an example of what can happen with small acquisitions when they really take off. So, you know, what booking, what Priceline did at the time was essentially invest in a small company. You know, they didn't buy parts of the shares like we would. They bought the whole company and it, it really took off. So another example of that. And that is the the, the case with, with Booking. It's a, a company that really took off. And like any company, they clearly do have risks associated with the investment, you know, the threat of Google, Airbnb and Expedia and the rest. So, I, 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 And there's no certainty as to how that would play out so it's a good time to remind you that you should do your own research and nothing that I say today should be considered as financial advice so many thanks again for listening in this week if you're looking to find out more about the podcast go to stockmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook make sure also to share it with your friends if you want to email me it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz once again my name is Jeremy Medlin and this has been episode 31 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday the 15th of March. I'll see you all next week.